0: Hello and welcome to the weekly worship podcast for Fuquay United Methodist Church. We think it's important not just that you listen today, but we would invite you to worship with us today. If you'd like to further engage your faith or the community around you and like to partner with us, please visit our website fvumc.org for more information. Also, we'd love to hang out with you on a Sunday morning, whether that's live, online, or in person. Online on Sunday mornings on our website Facebook page or YouTube channel you can enjoy the venue with us which is a worship service crafted for community online or you can join our live in-person services online at 1010 for our contemporary 1115 for our traditional if you'd like to worship in person with us we have worship at 9 o'clock and 1010 for our contemporary worship services and 1115 for our traditional worship at the end of the day we believe that when and where you worship is not nearly as important as that you worship and so we're so glad to be with you today, worshiping together. Well, hey, everybody, it's great to be with you uh, today. Uh, and glad you joined us this week. We're in week two of a new sermon series that we started last week called A Place at the Table. Uh, if you were not with us last week, I would encourage you uh, later at some point in time to go back and check it out. It, it'll kind of give you the backstory of some of the conversation that we're having today and are going to go on having uh, for the next few weeks. But don't worry, uh, if you weren't with us, you won't be lost uh, it's just, uh, it'll give you a richer and more full experience if you go back and check it out. So I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, but here's a little bit of the backstory that we gave last week, if it's helpful uh, for, for why we're having this conversation uh, today. Shortly after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, the early followers of Jesus were being filled and fueled by the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit, trying to figure out what in the world it looked like to be a part of the people of God followers of Jesus, uh, when Jesus wasn't physically present with them. That was a change. And they were trying to figure out what that uh, new kind of way of life together looked like. And as they were sorting it out, unexpected people in unexpected places started to make a, a really astounding claim. And their claim was this, that in Jesus, the one true God of the universe had come to earth to deal with the brokenness of the world That we all experience, Uh, we would call that sin. Anything that's anti-shalom, anti the peace of God, the way of God. We talked about that a little bit last week, and we'll look for it, uh, look at it more in uh, the weeks to come. That the God of the universe had come into the in the person of Jesus had come into the world to deal with all the brokenness that we experience in our lives once and for all. That the fullness of God's love had come into the world, and instead of receiving that love, we had killed Him. But the good news is uh, that. Like, even that was a redemptive movement, right, for all of us. That in the death of Jesus Christ, God was taking on all of the the brokenness, all of the brutality, all of the evil, all of the injustice, all the oppression on himself, all of the sin. And in its place, in the resurrection of Jesus, when God raised Jesus from the dead, was launching out a new way. Of being human, a new way of being creation, a new way of being communion. And that this was the same thing that God had, had done in that moment it was the same thing that God had been promising throughout the fullness of time to restore, renew, reorder the world. And that, that's exactly the work that was taking place uh, when Jesus died and when God raised Jesus from from the dead. But the really astounding thing is that they started saying that this wasn't just for the people of God, for people who were already following God, who were people uh, already a a part of the family of God called the Israelites or the Jewish people, but that this was something that was offered to all of us, to all of us. And and this was a remarkable thing. And and what we see taking place is uh, that in response to that, as people are filled with the Holy Spirit, as they, through faith, trust, and believe in the message that was shared with them, uh, they started sitting together together. At the table was evidence of this new way of being human, this new way of being creation, this new way of being community. We see evidence of it in the fact that people who, in their everyday, ordinary walking around lives, in their society, would have had no reason to sit together. And even, in some cases, some really compelling reasons to stay apart from each other. I mean, these are folks that were divided up by society by class, by race, by culture, by religion. And all of a sudden, we see all these people sitting together at the common table, bound together by something far greater than the strength of their differences, equals under the love or under the grace of God through Jesus Christ. But something threatened to undo that new creation that began to emerge in those early days. There was a a faction, a group within the people of Jesus who said, we, we actually can't sit at the same table together. Some of us are one type of follower of Jesus, one type of Christian, and some of us are are of another type. And we need to sit at two different tables. To which the pastor that we read from Galatians chapter two named Paul uh, stands toe to toe with the leaders of that faction and says, if you do that, if you divide us up, if you make us sit at two separate tables, you are nullifying the grace of God. You're saying that everything that Jesus just did for us was unnecessary. That we've we've got it on our own. We don't actually need the work of Jesus uh, in our lives or for us. We've got it. We've got it covered. We've got it covered. Thank you very much. That was a bold claim, right? Uh, that was a big. That was a big statement. And we're going to spend the next few weeks unpacking what we think Paul might have meant uh, by saying that that was the case. Uh, from the argument that we read last week, we we came to two points. And the first point was this: that there is a place at the table. For you. Regardless of who you are or what you've done, there is a place at the table for you because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. God has invited us all to come and sit at the table. No matter how we might choose to divide ourselves up in the world around us, God has allowed all of us to come and have a seat at the table that Jesus had made, has made that place for us. And it's a table of belonging. It's a table of identity. It's a table where our status and identity and belonging exist um, because of the grace of Of Jesus Christ in this age and in the age to come. Uh, And we're going to spend some time talking about that love and that grace today. Uh, And then the second point that we came to is that how we choose to use our tables matters, right? Paul says how we choose to eat together, it matters. It says something about how we understand and appreciate the grace of God Uh, at work within us. And so we want to spend some time uh, together today, beginning the work of trying to understand what we mean when we talk about the grace of Jesus Christ that theoretically uh, Paul was accusing them of, of, of nullifying. I want to read a passage from another letter that the, that the same pastor, Paul, wrote uh, to another group of people that I think is a beautiful 10 verses that gets to the heart of this. And I would encourage you to go read it in its fullness. There's a lot we can unpack. And like I said, we'll spend some time unpacking it over the next few weeks. But here's, here's how it goes uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were dead through your trespasses and sins. Remember last week we talked about sin as being anything that's anti-shalom, kind of undoes the way, the order. Uh, the intended order for creation, the intended order of God. You were dead through your trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, kind of the present age, the spirit that's now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in that way, in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of our flesh and our senses. We were by nature children of wrath, just like everyone in the world. But God, but God, and that's a big it's a big phrase there, but God, who was rich in mercy, who was rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses and sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, right? And he raised us up with him and seated us with Jesus in the heavenly places, so that in the ages to come, God might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And then he's going to reiterate, for by grace, you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that we can't boast. For we are what God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for shalom, which God prepared beforehand, before us, back at the beginning of the, of, of the earth, has prepared before us uh, to be our way, to be our way of life. Again, lots to unpack there, and we'll take some time uh, to do it. I'd like to start by just asking the question like, what is grace? What is grace? Uh, here's the working definition for us to get kicked off today. Uh, I'd like to suggest that an easy definition for grace that we could kind of wrap our heads around together would be that grace is the unearned love of God for us. God's love for us that is unearned, undeserved. We haven't done anything to get It God's choice to love us first. I think that's an easy starting point. Grace is the unearned love of God. Uh, For us, sometimes I think we get grace and mercy confused. Uh, We hear grace and mercy show up together in the passage that we just read. So maybe let's just for a second uh, separate those two things. Um, Grace, I would say, is when we get something that we don't deserve. Grace is when you get something that you don't deserve. Mercy is when you don't get something that you do deserve, like a a punishment of some sort uh, or a fine of some sort. If you are not punished, if you uh, get pulled over for speeding and the patrolman says to you, well, I'm going to give you away with a warning, the patrolman has just exercised mercy. You have not gotten something that you probably do deserve versus grace, which is when you receive something that you don't, like a gift or a kindness. Um, And grace and mercy oftentimes go together. They belong together like peanut butter and chocolate, like bread and butter, like Corned beef and peaches. Google it. Just, just Google it. Uh, so grace is the unearned love of God for us when God chooses to give us a love that we do not deserve. Now, what does this grace do? Um, there, of course, are a lot of answers to that, particularly depending on who you ask. And a lot of the main sort of strains of theology that we see uh, in the church worldwide answer that question a little bit differently, but we're all, I think, Uh, highlighting different parts of the same good gift of God for us, this unearned love of God for us that we call uh, grace. Uh, For me, this is how I like to think of it. It's a helpful way for me. Um, If it's not for you, we'll go through some other ways as we go through the next few weeks. But for me, here it is. Uh, I like to think of grace as like the medicine for our sin-sick souls. Last week, we talked uh, about how when God created the world, God created it in the state of being that the old rabbis called shalom, which means peace, Not just the absence of violence, but it's peace that's harmony and flourishing. It's everything working together like a well-oiled machine, like it was intended to work. And we talked about how uh, we thought that we could maybe reorder the world in a way that would benefit us more. And when we did, we broke it. Things no longer hummed like a well-oiled machine, but now they're clicking and clacking against each other. We see death. We see division. We see murder. We see idolatry. All these things crop up. All of those things are symptoms of a sickness that lays down deep within the created order within you and within me it's just part of the condition uh, that we're in and i like to see that i uh, like to say that uh, grace is the, the medicine that not only deals with the symptoms but heals us from the the plague of sin the wound of sin the the disease of sin the pandemic of sin right that's infecting everything uh, that's around us far as the curse is found we sing and uh, we sing joy to the world um, and so, uh, when we experience that grace, uh, we tend to experience it primarily in three ways. Same grace, but three different sorts of experience. The first uh, way that we experience is it the grace that comes before. This is the starting point for our knowledge and understanding of God, our relationship with God. It's the starting point for our connection with God. It's the grace that comes before we know to ask for it. Then we experience what I think is a pardoning grace. This is a slate-wiped, clean grace. This is the grace that gives us a fresh start and a new opportunity to begin again. This is a pardoning grace. This is a a mercy-filled grace of God for us. And then our third experience of grace is a, a perfecting grace, a grace that heals and restores and transforms and remakes us and rids us from the plague of sin. Today, I want to focus on that first sort of experience. Next week, we'll move on to the second, and then the third week to the third. Um, And remember, it's all the same grace. It's just three different ways that we uh, experience it. This first grace, uh, we call it in the theological, we call it prevenient grace. Pre means before. Veen is the root for the word that means to come, right? So it's the grace that prevenes or that comes before. We know uh, to ask for it. Uh, To put it differently, uh, using our scripture today, it's the grace that comes when or while we are still sinning. Here's some words from our scripture again. Because of his great love, because of God's great love for us, grace, God, who is rich in mercy, peanut butter and chocolate, uh, made us alive with Christ even while, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Uh, Even when we were still in open rebellion against God, Christ died for us. That proves God's love for us, we say. It is by grace you have been saved, Paul reiterates. Even when we're dead, God chooses to to do the work to make us alive before we've done anything to earn it or to deserve it or even to ask for it. This is the grace, the love of God that prevenes, that comes before, that comes before. And this grace, I believe, uh, is the starting point for our knowledge of God. It's the starting point for our understanding that there's a difference between good and evil and to desire the good. So this grace that comes allows us to to know, to search for, to look for, to desire a connection with God and to will to be a part of what's good. I'd like to offer you, as quickly as I can, uh, three sort of uh, metaphors or images that I think can be helpful to understand how this grace works. And uh, my guess is that one of them will be more helpful for you than others. I've tried to kind of create different ones uh, so that hopefully we'll, we'll hit a, lot, a wide swath of folks. Uh, here's the first one. This is a theological example. This one comes from St. Augustine, who was a church leader in the 400s, back in the 400s. He talked about how um, when sin has infected us, uh, it changes our posture. It changes the posture of our wills. And he calls the posture that we're in, uh, the condition that we're in, curvatus. He says it's uh, like a curvature of the spine. So I'm going to stand up for a second. This is going to be tricky with the microphone. But uh, When we are infected by sin, we are kind of hunched over. And when we're hunched over, all that we can see is ourselves, right? We're kind of curved in ourselves. We're navel-gazing, which means that everything that we see, we see through the lens of ourselves. We understand the world only through what is good for us, only what seems right to us. Uh, Only what benefits us and in this posture, he says uh, that we are, Latin, non passe, non pecare. We are not able not to sin, right? We just go on participating in the brokenness. We're adding brokenness into a world that is already broken because we ourselves are curved over and all that we can see is ourselves. That is the full lens through which we see and understand the world. But Augustine said that God's grace, this, this prevening grace, this grace gives us the ability to just to lift our head a little bit, right? It's not saving grace. We're going to talk about save salvation a little bit more next week. It's not a saving grace, uh, but it's a grace that awakens us. It's a grace that lifts our head. It's a grace that gives us the possibility of recognizing that there are other people in the world, right? There's more to the world than just what's good for us. This awakening grace, uh, it, it, it fires up our imagination. It, it gives us the ability to begin to desire a connection with God. All of this is God moving towards us first. Again, it's not fixing us. It's not solving all the problems. It's not dealing with the plague of sin. This first little dose of grace, this prevening grace, is just a grace that uh, allows us to, uh, to kind of lift our heads up um, and to desire a relationship with God, a connection with God uh, as the source of all good, all good things. Who receives this grace is, uh, is a little bit up for debate if you are in some other faith traditions. Um, but I'm going to move on to my second sort of metaphor or, uh, uh, or example to give, because I think um, when Paul writes these words, he's writing them to people who are on the outside People who don't belong, people who were not a part of the people of God, people we'd call Gentiles, uh, people with no one would have ever expected would receive this grace. But I believe that this is grace that's offered to every single person, to every single person. And I'm going to give you the second uh, sort of example um, to explain why I think that this is such a compelling understanding for me that God gives this prevening grace uh, to everyone. Uh, for this, we're going to use a, we'll use a triangle. You're familiar, I'm sure, with the shape. I'm going to have to do things a little backwards on my end, so I'm going to pay attention here. Okay. Um, I was praying the Lord's prayer with my kids and in the Lord's prayer, uh, we began by saying our father who art in heaven, right? We call God a parent, a good parent. God desires to be called parent, teaches us to call God parent, Uh, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what do you call someone who's in charge of a kingdom? You call them a king right? Um, And I think a lot of times when we're thinking about salvation, particularly in the Western world, when we think about sin, we think about mercy being forgiveness, oftentimes it conjures up images of a king who pardons us, who forgives us for breaking all the laws that we've broken. Um, And there is room for that. Again, we're going to talk about that more fully next week. Uh, But for starters, just to think about it today, um, we also call that king a parent, Right? And a parent relates with us very differently than a king may choose to relate with us. Right? So hear me out for just a second. Um, up at the top of the triangle here, let's just put the word parent, right? Uh, We'd say that God is, is our Father in heaven. Um, God is our parent. Uh, if if you are a parent and you have a child, right? I have I have children. I call my children my children. They have an identity as a child. Because I think of myself as a parent. I have called them child, right? And God has called us children. Out of that identity grows our obedience, right? I expect my kids to obey. Now, they don't often Obey, but I want them to obey because I want them to have life. I want them to be safe. I don't want them to run out into the street. I want them to eat healthy food. So I ask them to do the things that I'm asking them to do for their well being and for their goodness. I would hope that they choose to be obedient because they trust as a parent and they're my child that I have their best interest in mind. And it's out of the connection that they have with me, right? Their identity as a child that that obedience comes, not out of fear, not out of obligation, uh, but out of love, right? So often, though, when we start talking about sin and salvation and grace and being saved, all these things, we it's like we flip a switch and we begin to convince ourselves that out of our obedience, if we can just live in the right way, if we can just believe all the exact right things, if we can get our life perfect, then we will be called children of God. And we can call God parent. You hear that? We tend to want to move in the wrong direction. God, however, is the one that chooses to call God self parent. God is the one who teaches us to call God parent. That's not our choice. No pastor, no church, no neighbor, not even you is going to convince yourself to call God parent. God is asking you to do that. Like that's God's invitation to you. God has choos- chosen to call God's self-parent so that we can understand ourselves as children. Obedience still exists, right? I- I'm not trying to wipe away obedience or what it looks like for us to respond to the fact that God is parents. What I'm just saying is our obedience, our, 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 I'm, let me say it again, our identity as children of God is not derived from our obedience so that we can call God father. God has chosen to call God's self-parent, inviting us to understand ourselves, our identity as children of God. That's why we all have a seat. At the table, And our obedience grows out of that. Again, we will continue to talk more about obedience uh, as we go forward. But this grace that God has given us is a starting point. It's the grace that invites us to the table. It's the grace that provides a place for us at the table. It's why the table is a place of belonging, status, uh, identity, and inclusion as, as uh, people of God, as children of God. It's because God has chosen to call God's self uh, parent. All right. There's a place at the table for you. That is God's uh, invitation. Um, Hopefully, how we choose to use our tables uh, matters. Hopefully, we're reflecting this prevening grace of God. I'd like to offer you one final image before we part company for the day. Um, I I use this metaphor, this image, uh, a lot of times when I'm trying to explain baptism to kids uh, or God's love to kids. And and I want to offer it to you today uh, as we we part company. Um, We just had Christmas, right? And oftentimes I'll say, uh, particularly to kiddos, uh, you know, under the Christmas tree, there's probably a gift for you. It's a gift that was purchased by your parents uh, for you. It's in a box, it's wrapped, uh, it's got your name on it. That gift is yours. Um, It's not somebody else's gift, it's your gift, chosen specifically for you. And it's sitting under the tree. Now, if, if you wanna play with that gift, you have to unwrap it, right? You can leave that gift unopened, it can sit under the tree, That doesn't change the fact that it's your gift, that it was given for you, and it's going to sit there maybe year after year after year. Uh, The wrapping paper maybe gets a little bit duller. It gets a little dustier as it goes along, Um, but that gift is yours. It's yours, and it's there, Um, but you've got to unwrap it and play with it if you want to experience the joy that comes with playing with the gift that's been given for you. God's love for us uh, is a gift. God's salvation for us is a gift. That gift is a gift that's been given to you. It's been given to every single person, uh, it's been purchased for you with you in mind. Uh, it's in a box. It's been wrapped and it's sending under the tree. Um, that is God's gift. When we talk about prevenient grace, prevening love, the unearned love of God for us, this is what we're talking about. It's a gift for you, your name on it, wrapped, labeled under the tree. We still have to unwrap it. If we're going to experience the joy and the life that's found inside. Um, but that gift is there. It's there. And it's there for you. If, um, if if you, have not yet unwrapped that gift, uh, if prevenient grace has started to work in you and lifted your head just a little bit, but you don't know what's next, you know you desire a connection with God, you know you desire to be a part of the good shalom, the, the goodness of God that's at work in the world, um, we would love to help you unwrap that gift uh, so that you can enjoy the life that God has promised for you. Um, we will continue uh, to talk about this gift and unwrapping it as we go forward. Uh, but if we can journey with you, I hope that you will uh, shoot us a text and let us know uh, so that we can reach out to you later in the week. Uh, grace and peace to all of you uh, as you go forth to experience and to share the good news of God's prevening love with others. Amen. Again, it's been great to worship together with you today. If you would like to engage your faith or the community around you, we'd love to partner with you in that. You can visit our website, fvumc.org. To find out more information on what that looks like or to reach out to us. I'd like to extend another invitation for you to come and join us online or in person on Sunday mornings live. Uh, And while you're on our website, uh, again, if this is a regular place that you find spiritual sustenance, we'd love to partner with you as we serve our community. Here in the Greater Fauquier area, um, fvumc.org/give would help you uh, join with us in all of the wonderful work that happens in and through this family of faith here at Fauquier United Methodist Church. It's been great to worship together with you, and we look forward to doing again soon.